So here we are on the first week in Lent, the first Sunday in Lent, and we're beginning our journey into the wilderness. And as I've been reflecting on the nature of wilderness this week and thinking about wildernesses that I've known, literal wildernesses and figurative wildernesses, what has kind of bubbled up the, to the surface, so to speak, for me has been the experience of being on the ocean. Now, before moving here, um, one of my favorite things to do, it was basically Sabbath time for me, is I would serve on a crew to help my friend sail his sailboat in races. And that was a Wednesday evening activity. I'd leave work a little bit early, get to the Monterey Harbor, and we'd head out into the harbor and race against the other boats. And this boat that I was able to sail on with these people, it was a 50-foot sailboat. It was a pretty long vessel. And 70 feet high was the mast. And if you think about how big those sails were and how much power they harnessed when they caught the wind, it was an awesome experience in the literal sense of that word. Um, when I got here, um, somebody who knew that I was into sailing said, are you a blue water sailor? And I confess, I didn't know there was any other kind. And that, that means an ocean sailor, now I know. Um, in the Monterey Bay is a wild place. It has deep canyons underneath, and the wildlife that we would see was part of what made it really exciting. Um, but if you could imagine being on a boat like that, I have no idea how much it weighed, and especially with it took 12 to 16 of us on a typical night to be able to sail that big vessel. Um, and the swells would be many maybe dozens of feet up and down. It would just lift and bring down the boat, just like it weighed nothing. It's an incredible experience to give yourself to something like that. And when you're on a crew, that, there are other sermons that could be given on this. When you become part of a whole, the only way that we could sail is if we were in tune with one another. Just like Paul talks about the church, that we are members of one another. And there's no way that just one of us alone could have possibly done what was needed to be done to properly sail a boat like that. But to head out into the ocean, you have to be prepared. You're in the elements. You can't easily go back and you can't seek convenience. You have to just be in the weather and in the circumstance and trusting each other and trusting the skipper. So the person who owned the boat, his name is Augie, and he was somebody that had many, many years of sailing experience. As a younger guy, he had actually sailed on a crew a couple times out from California to Hawaii. And you can imagine the wilderness of that, to be in the middle of the Pacific Ocean on a boat. And what happens is when you're in the wilderness, your skills are tested, but more importantly, your character is tested. And we would look to the captain and we would trust him because we knew his character from sailing many, many times together with him. So going into the wilderness when Jesus does it, as we hear about in the gospel, he meets Satan. And Satan is named Satan in this reading. Satan or Ho diabolo is the Greek, so the Hebrew is Satan, and those are two different ways of saying the same word, which means the accuser or the adversary. 
But you may have noticed there was another word given to Satan also this morning. He was called the tempter. Pirazzo, the tempter in Greek. And isn't it true that this isn't a story just then and there? It may sound like mythology, but the tempter is real. Amy Zeitlow, a Lutheran pastor, wrote an article about this very passage, which had a really interesting insight. She said, in management, there is the concept of the skill-will matrix. So what that means is somebody might have or might not have the skill to do certain aspects of a job. You can train a person, though, to have skill. Skill can be formed. What's more important is the motivation. Does that person have the will that it takes to get an important job done? You can change skill much more easily than you can change will. And when you're managing people, sometimes it's more important to look for the people who have the will and then work on the skill part. And that's exactly what Jesus did. If you notice that the disciples that he called, um, they actually didn't have a lot of skill. You know, they weren't even very good at their original day jobs as fishermen. And yet, they had the will to follow and to give of themselves in the following. And so this is what's going on in the wilderness with the devil. The devil is testing Jesus. He's tempting him with these things. And he offers him three different things. The first, he says, well, you can imagine, he's been in the wilderness now for 40 days. He's been fasting. He's famished. You can imagine how hungry you would be if you were him. And the devil says, turn these stones into loaves of bread, and it would be a great temptation, of course. The temptation of comfort. Jesus has the skill. He could do that, but he doesn't have the will to do that. Or maybe better stated, he has the will not to do that because it's the wrong motivation. Well, the next temptation is to go to the top, the pinnacle of the temple, throw yourself down, let the angels protect you and show who you are in that glorious way. That's the temptation of prestige. Then the final temptation, the devil asks him to bow down and worship him so that he would then give him all of the land and he would possess all the kingdoms. And that's the temptation of power. So these three temptations, the temptation of comfort, the temptation of prestige, the temptation of power. And if you think about it in this place, in this age, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? These temptations are still at work and alive. And Jesus says no to all of them because the devil doesn't understand that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. Small aside, I got to be in Louisville, Kentucky a little over a week ago at a conference, and there is a street corner in the middle of Louisville. It's 4th and Walnut, and it's a very famous street corner if you are a Thomas Merton fan. And I bet there are some people here who know who Thomas Merton is and have read him. Uh, a monastic, a Catholic, um, and a great writer. And he had this life-changing moment on the corner of 4th and Walnut in Louisville where he had an epiphany. And he looked around and he beheld all these strangers 
and suddenly realize that these people were precious in God's eyes. He saw their belovedness, and it's just kind of interesting to think that they have a marker on that corner. Like we have markers in many places, including here, that say this historic thing happened at this date, this time. Um, it's probably the only marker that is a marker for an epiphany, <laughs> for his revelation that changed his life. And so that same person, Thomas Merton, has an important thing to share about will. And he says, as great a thing as it is when we can do God's will, and that's something many of us pray to do, to be able to do the will of God, how much more wonderful if we can will the will of God. If we can make God's will and our will come together. That's the transformation. In the book of Genesis, the original sin, we heard about that this morning, and Adam and Eve, who are clearly just figuring things out, they only have one job, and they can't do that one job. Don't eat the fruit. That's their one job. And then I love, every time I hear this story, it sounds fresh, because you hear the, it's just so familiar. If you've ever failed at temptation, you start to think, well, there's a good reason to eat the fruit. Then you can understand things better, and all, it's good to eat. And the, the tempter shows up as a snake. Same thing, though. Nothing new under the sun. And so why is this the original sin? So it's a tree. So there's some fruit. Why would that matter so much? Well, clearly, they're putting themselves in the place of God. Something that we see all the time and that some of us, I know, are even guilty of from time to time. Thinking that we should put ourselves where God is meant to be. Well, when you're on the deck of a sailboat and the ocean is moving up and down and you're experiencing the power of the wind, you're put in your place. It's an experience that brings a healthy humility. And I remember standing on that deck and looking out and being just struck with awe for all of it and for the creation that God has made, including even us. Us limited human beings with our limited skill, but even us, when we can align our will with the will of God, find that our potential is unlimited. Amen.